Hello, I'm Beth Carson Wallace, and welcome to Life Changes. The show is dedicated to helping you find your true self, whatever that means to you, so that you can be enthusiastic about what's yet to come. Healing takes hard work, but on the other side of that work, freedom and peace are right there waiting. We can do this together. So let's get started. Hi, Marcy, and welcome to Life Changes. Thank you so much for joining us today. So anyway, this is Marcy, and welcome, and I'm just going to let her say hello, and then we'll get to work. Thank you. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much. I'm happy to be here. It's so great to have you here. Marcy, do you want to give us just a little bit, whatever you want to tell us as an intro to your story, and then well, we're going to, I'm going to get to work asking you some questions because I want to know how you're doing. Okay. That sounds great. So probably my story kind of started um, in my late twenties. I was recently divorced and remarried and kids and working mom, PTA mom, cheerleading coach, And I started committing a crime. I started um, stealing money from my employer. And that's a whole nother story, right? As, as circumstances around that. Yeah. Uh, I ended up being sentenced to 20 years in prison and I served a little over 10 years. Um, When I got incarcerated, I left two children in diapers and three middle school age kids. So I was very fortunate that my family and their dads, they made sure that I still maintained a relationship with my kids. But I came home to two middle school daughters (laughs) and three adult grown children and two grandchildren. So Now I'm out here. I started sharing my story on social media. So I'm very public about everything. Um, My kids are kind of used to that also. And I've used social media as a bit of therapy. If you want to think about like video journaling, that's been, (laughs) it's been so beneficial to me to watch myself and hear my own words working through things. And I've made that public. And from that, I've had a lot of opportunities come from that. Um, A lot of doors opened and I'm, I'm so appreciative of that, but I'm just still here. I've been home for two years and I'm rebuilding relationships with my family. We're still all healing Beth from the trauma of my actions and the trauma of me being gone for so long and the trauma that the prison system put on me. So good. Mercy me. I mean, uh, I, 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 I lose my breath hearing your story because you, you speak it so eloquently, kind of like, well, I went to the grocery store. I got some eggs and bacon and, you know, and the traumas that, that, that are filled in the few paragraphs you just spoke are breathtaking. So I'd kind of like to start wherever you want to start. Um, I'm thinking that we might, if it suits you, 
see where you are today and and what you're feeling. We all have a bunch of different selves, S-E-L-V-E-S, that live inside us. And, you know, one cuts off when a trauma happens and we freeze and then we start over again. But but that other self is there. Well, you went, yours went bam, 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 bam from the arrest or, you know, from the first moment that things got rolling, whatever that was, whether it was someone knocking on your door or you having to turn yourself in, whatever happened to sitting in this chair today. Well, I think it's kind of important to say that I started putting up walls when I started committing my crime. Mm-hmm. So I committed my crime over a number of years. And through that, I was having to lie to everyone that was important to me in uh-huh. my life. And and it is similar to someone that's in their addiction or, mm-hmm. you know, they're, we're, we're hiding. And although my I didn't have a substance addiction, the money definitely became addictive. Yeah. And uh, it just with each lie, one more brick went in the wall. Um, before I knew it, I had destroyed my marriage. I had pushed my family away. I had pushed all of my friends away. And it was not a peaceful existence. And that that was a three and a half year time between the time I started committing my crime and the time I got arrested. So Mar- Marcy, was it an ease into that time or, I mean, did it kind of blindly happen and build and build and build, or was it something that went boom? Okay. This is the way I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the plunge. That first, it was multiple transactions. So mm-hmm. it's, it's theft charge and it was multiple transactions. And the first transaction mm-hmm. was little and that kind of grew, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's that adrenaline yeah. comes with getting away with something. Um, yeah. Also, and there was just some dynamics that I kind of had lost respect for my employer. And I uh-huh. felt un- undervalued, underpaid, almost I almost justified it like I deserve this. It was just a small amount like it would be just a little. But then that just grew and it snowballed. OK, so you had a three and a half year period where you were losing yourself. And you, it, it is very much like addiction where you lost your values. And it does happen that we lose, when we lose our values, we lose everything. You don't, we don't know that our values are everything until we lose them and get them back. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you lose yourself. And, what, yes. and, and once you lose yourself and your values, you're just sunk. And, and, and plus you're high. I mean, in in your, I mean, I think your your um, serotonin or whatever that is that makes you high happens when you're in doing stuff like that. Let's talk about today for a minute. How are you? I am well when I'm staying very busy. It's in those slower moments that I can easily get kind of caught in my thoughts and allow myself to sink into this place where it's just still full of guilt. So when when that happens, um, do you have a process that you go through? Do you have a something you do or or not? I have something that I do. I don't know that it's the healthy 
answer or the right thing. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be at all. I will very much get in my bed and even with the covers over my head where I'm just in this little cocoon and sometimes I just feel it Mm -hmm. through that. It's a lot of sorrow and tears come with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing knowing that I did something that so dramatically impacted the people that I most literally care about the most in this world and my family, my kids, my parents. I mean, so it's, it's hard to kind of process that. Mm -hmm. I have done both ways. I have gotten in that cocoon and cried it out and then came out of it Mm -hmm. getting an hour and feel better. And I have gotten in that cocoon and, cried it out, but then started listening to all of those lies that sometimes we tell ourselves mm-hmm. like it you should it would have been better if you died than if you went to prison. It I mean just uh-huh. the worst mm-hmm. things that you tell yourself and then I can I can wallow in that for a few days, Beth. I can stay in that place in that dark mm-hmm. place a couple of days. I really can. Yeah. Has that happened recently? I think the last time, and it's all all like everything's recently still. I've just been home like two years, yeah. but um, I it's been a few months since Good. I really yeah. got down in the. Yeah, are you getting some help? I'm not. Okay, okay. No, I mean to each his own, you know. Um, but but you know, Marcy. That that going down for a few days, just going down. Sometimes that's what it takes. You know, I mean, it's like even though it's a horrible dark place, sometimes you just can't get out. You just you just can't get out. But I'll tell you this: um, if you knew that there was or were solutions. For the misery, and you wanted to utilize them, they're out there. Okay, there there is therapy for that, you know. And um, if it's hard to find a therapist, you know, um, but but it's something for you to consider for considering everything they've been through. I'm not a therapist; I'm a coach, and and i and i do grief therapy and trauma i mean grief coaching i don't do any therapy but you know and that and and um i love doing that but the thing is by the way i think this is i think guilt's the worst thing there is it comes from us you know guilt is something we we create for ourselves and um the bottom line with guilt who is it that you need to forgive, Marcy? Myself, for for most certain, and that's yeah. easy to identify that as the solution. Mm. Um, but hard to do. Most certainly, it's hard to do. Also, I'm just now kind of evolving from this idea that. Forgiveness in any form, whether it's for towards another person or towards yourself or towards 
the prison mm-hmm. industrial complex or however that looks to you. It's not just because I forgive, I can say I forgive myself. I can make the decision, the conscious decision to forgive myself, but it's not just a straight line, right? No. It's not all of a no. sudden, hey, I'm released, I'm free. It doesn't kind of no. work. So it's like spirals around, right? It gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. So I have that faith that I know things will continue to get better with my entire family. Cause we're all healing together. You know, mm-hmm. all of us experience so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. But then there, there's the part two where this is what I noticed about your um, thing. Your sayings on Instagram, you do the very best you can to normalize a situation because you have to. When It sounds to me like when you're in prison, you better straighten up, do it right, and that's your new normal. You know, you take your new normal and you get it in your bloodstream. Am I right? That's exactly right, Beth. You have to completely adapt to that environment. And the more you fight that adaptation, the harder your time is going to be. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind, and, and what happens if you don't, and and the pressures of being in there, and, and just, just the, the horror of being talked down to and 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 emotionally abused in there do you mind talking about that or is that hard to talk about not at all beth i don't mind talking about that i think the first kind of mental thing that i faced at the beginning of my incarceration was just learning i learned very quickly that my word didn't mean anything. I had put myself in a situation where the people that had authority over me were literally trained that I was a liar as an inmate. Um, And so things would come up. I would need things. The beginning of, you don't know where to go. So you're newly incarcerated and you think that you go to the officer for help and that's, that's not a safe place to go to. And, um, So that mentally was really hard on me. Also, coming from a middle-class family, my parents were hippies. They loved everybody. Um, They protected me from any kind of outside violence. I had Mm -hmm. never been spoken to hatefully. And that didn't come from the ladies I was incarcerated with. That came from staff members talking down to me. My first visit, it was we were at visitation and my mom and grandmother and my kids were there. And the officer said, "Okay, you heifers count time. And and it was just casual and it wasn't even aggressive the way she said it. But I remember my mom being so appalled that that's how she, that's how the lady called count time. But I had already come to a place months into my incarceration that that didn't even seem abnormal. So you do, you do have to adapt yourself mentally to handle that. 
at the beginning, I remember mm. combating my mind, like throwing negative things, even if I wasn't verbalizing them in my mind. And that's not healthy either, because it just, all of that can kind of eat you up if you use all that negative energy. Beth, I didn't do my time easily. I know sometimes my videos, you might see me cooking a prison pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my time, it wasn't all easy. I went all the way to the bottom. In the middle of my sentence, uh, I had suicide attempts. I ended up in the prison psych hospital. I, um, yeah, I I saw that part. Yeah. So, so Marcy, um, I'm going to back up a little bit, but what you're saying is very powerful. And I want to get back to that because that's so huge. But when you were talked ugly to, you couldn't talk back. Right. Did you ever? In the beginning, I I did not. At the beginning of my sentence and at the end of my sentence, I absolutely did not talk back. In the middle, okay. the consequences for talking back are pretty severe. What are they? You could be taken to solitary confinement. Um, I was never physically harmed by my staff. And, and Beth, let me just say, I came across lots of correctional officers that are kind-hearted, that were compassionate, and even ones that were just there to do their job and maybe were indifferent. Um, so right. the ones I'm talking about are, are just a percentage, sadly, kind yeah. of a large percentage, but it's definitely not all. So I, I wasn't ever, I wasn't ever physically assaulted by an, by a staff member. I was, though, definitely, I'll just tell the story, Beth. I'll tell one story. So we were in line. Our dorm was in line going to the chapel, and we passed the administrative segregation, which is the solitary confinement building, and the girls were at their window and, you know, they're they're telling us hi, and you have to keep in mind these ladies are in a small cell. This is literally their only community communication, you know, and so um, I, they're say, hi, Marcy, hi, and, you know, and I just throw a heart, and this is just something we do is we just take our hands and just in the shape of a heart, right, and the sergeant said, Simmons, and he calls me back, and I say, yes, sir, he says, go back, go back to the dorm, you, for talking to Ad Seg, it's not a written rule, but it is a rule that kind of an unwritten rule that we're not supposed to communicate with each other on the street like that. So I said, come on, Sarge, I wasn't talking. And he, that triggered him in some way. Um, So he pulled me, he didn't pull me, he didn't touch me, but he told me to come here and he had me backed up to a wall in front of the other dorm and um, we're out of view from the main street because it's kind of um, in a little enclave. And he's a big guy. He's tall, broad shouldered, a big guy. And he's leaning over me and he's so close to my face that I can feel his breath on me. And he's just yelling me, you're calling me a effing liar. You know, I, I saw you talking. You you want to disrespect me? And I have my hands behind my back because any movement 
that you make, they can they can use that against you. So an officer can say that they feel threatened. They can say if your hands are out, they could say you tried to touch them or you try, you know, if you're um agitated, how some people talk with their hands and they can yeah. take that as an act of aggression. So I just kind of bowed down at that time and and then right. when it was when that incident was over, I went back to my dorm and then Chow got called and he was working in the Chow Hall and he degraded me further in front of everyone. Just just being ugly, just being yes. just condescending and mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I go back to my dorm and he was called. They called me out. They called me on the intercom to go to line control, which is where the lieutenant's office is and where the sergeant's office is. He was a sergeant at the time. And I go and they said, Sergeant so-and-so wants to see you. And I'm like, great. I'm thinking he must have written me a disciplinary case. Uh But when I go in, he's sitting at his desk and there's another officer present. And he told the other officer and she's not there anymore, so I'll say her name. But she, he, he said, Officer Smith, if you don't want to have to write a statement against me, you need to leave. And she got up and closed the door. <gasps> and uh, he just, it was just further intimidation, Beth. He, again, had me backed up against, they had like. What's it, what of, is he saying to you? Or is it just physical fear? It was just a. It was a power play. It was him physically making it known that if had he wanted to do something aggressive to me, he could and get away with it. And at this time, I already know my word would mean nothing against an officer. At that point, is he do you think he's he's threatening rape? Do you think he's threatening beating you up? What what is his what are his eyes telling you? What 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 is it? Yeah. The aggression, his yeah. eyes were aggression. And if we had been in a different scenario, I mean, I still would have, it would have been the equal fear. So the imbalance of power definitely played into it, but just the physical size of him being alone in that room where he had complete control, you know, it, it would have been intimidating out here, but in there so much more, because at least out here, when we say something, and and not always, Beth, because there are so many stories that people aren't believed, but you have a better chance of being believed. My family would have believed me, you know. In oh, yes. Yeah, the, the world's much nicer out here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So these are, yeah, these are the kind of things. It's, it's that fear-based. That fear-based environment where, and, and you're, you're getting the worst of it. I mean, it's like war, like a prisoner of war. That's what that sounds like. I was just thinking that we did we did have to make the best of those kind of of being in that environment. And humans have this wonderful way of still kind of coming together and supporting each other. And I had so much support from the ladies I was incarcerated with. We were just all kind of going through that together but in that same time we were also normalizing yeah. that yeah and yeah, yeah. You're, you're having to normalize something that is so not normal 
did, did you hear me? You're having yes. to no, to normalize something. I mean, that's how that's that's how the world gets screwed up. All right, let's get let's get back to, and we're back to today where you are today, and you're under the covers, Marcy. You 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 need a way out of the covers, okay? Do you feel that way? Absolutely. Okay. It's not healthy. It's, yeah. It's furthering my journey in any yeah. way. Can we talk about that a little bit? Just, sure. just yeah, let's talk about you in the covers. Okay. So uh, I think going on, going under there for a day is fine, but going under there for uh, or, or a few hours or whatever. Um, can we talk about what happens when you go under there and you can't come out? I'm completely unavailable to people around me. So since I've come home, my kids are very needy. Like when they call, it, mm-hmm. it affects very negatively if I'm not able to answer right away. Mm-hmm. Um, they call, I definitely send them a text, you know, to let them know what's going on with me because um yeah, and so when I'm when I'm in that situation, it's hard for me to respond, mm-hmm. and that's kind of causes more guilt. I'm is this on- a, so so you're saying they need you, and you're this is when you're this is when you're in a burrow, you're burrowed up, and you can't respond because you're frozen under the covers. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. What what are you saying to yourself? I'm. Sometimes in those worst moments, I'm just thinking that I tell myself, you're not a good mom. You know, it gets pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Nobody to call the hospital on me. I'm not suicidal. But in those moments, those thoughts are definitely coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- that's bad. That's a really bad place to be, isn't it? And your children are over there going, Mama, I need you to sign this permission slip. Mom. Um, you know, how old are your children that need you? Well, it's really my adult. It's really my adult kids. Oh, I know. I've got adult children. They, they dear Lord. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's not even, not even necessarily, although I do love it, it just brings mm. me so much joy when it's yeah. random. Like, mom, can you pick up the kids from school today? Oh, or yeah. mom, yeah. my dog for the weekend because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went long without being able to be supportive in those kind of ways. So I'm just yeah. mean the um I have my grown daughter, she has a very physical anxiety filled reaction if she calls me to say hi mom and I don't answer. Mm-hmm. I have been in the shower and get out of the shower and have five frantic text messages from her and you know, one day she said, Mom, you know, I know you're not in prison. I know you're not going back to prison. But in that moment, when I can't get a hold of you, it's that same feeling. And I, and I can just only imagine what that is for her. She was in middle school when I left, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you all so much for being here today. It's just been fascinating and sad and heartbreaking hearing this story from dear sweet Marcy and interesting. So we're going to do a part two on our next podcast. 
Um, so we'll hear more from Marcy on that. If you would like to get in touch, please email me at bcwlifechanges at gmail.com. I'm loving getting your emails. They're so interesting. And remember, if you would like to have a session with me, just email me about it and we will have a Zoom time together. And I would love to do that if you think that I can help you. I'm delighted to do that. I'm Beth Carson Wallace, Certified Life Coach. And thank you again for coming. Bye-bye.